So, let's jump into uh, Joshua again. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be mainly in Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Um, We're going to be looking at uh, the the moment when God brings them to the... uh, the Jordan River and was preparing them and, and getting them ready to cross over to the other side to start taking uh, and conquering the land that he has promised. Now, uh, it's interesting, again, we called this series Throwback because when I was, you know, we were talking about it and just kind of this idea of looking back and how it's going to help us move forward. Uh, here's the thing. I, I, I love the Old Testament. There's a lot of stuff that's confusing in the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. You know, you get into some of those prophets and all that and you're reading all that and it's kind of, it can be very overwhelming. But there's a lot of amazing stories and, and, and just amazing truth in the, New, in the Old Testament. And unfortunately, many times Christians avoid the Old Testament. Unfortunately, we spend too much time in the New Testament thinking that that means we can just kind of do away with the old. But here's the thing. God worked in and through the lives of the people in the Old Testament to reveal to us how he wants to work in our own lives. Right? That's one of the reasons we have the Old Testament, so that we can look back and we can look at what God did in the Old Testament and it helps us to have a better understanding of how he wants to work in our lives through Jesus Christ. In fact, this is truth from Scripture. Paul understood this. Notice what Paul says in Romans. As he's ending Romans, Paul says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scripture and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Right? So this is why, as we think about this, this is why we're looking back. We're going to look back, and and like I said, over today today and then next week, we're going to look back at Joshua. All three weeks of this, we're going to look back at Joshua because we're looking back to gain hope in what God did in their lives and what he then wants to do in our lives. That's why we view this as, as this series is that kind of thing. We're throwing back to what God has done so that we can be encouraged for what he wants to do now because he has given us this to teach us that we might have endurance through the scripture and find encouragement and hope. So here we are back in Joshua just so we're all caught up and on the same page here. So Joshua starts out, the first chapter of Joshua starts out with God coming to Joshua and saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, I am going to turn you into the leader now. You are going to lead these people to take hold of the promise. And he reminds him that he will be with him and he will not forsake him. And he says, I, I, will, I will use you like I used Moses. And he encourages him to stay true to the word, and, and he uh, commissions Joseph, or uh, Joshua. He commissions Joshua. So he's been installed as the leader, and then we go into chapter 2, just to kind of see what's happening. Uh, Joshua sends spies into the land. This is where we have the story of Rahab. Spies go into the land, and they go to look at Jericho, because that's the first city they're going to come against. And they go, and they see what it's like, and there's this little interaction with Rahab helping them, and and making it so the spies weren't murdered, and and they make a deal with her. And then uh, they go back, and they give this report to Joshua. And, and after the report, Joshua walks away from that and, and he goes to the people and he's basically like, listen, God has given us the land. It is ours for the taking. 
So we have this moment at the end of uh, chapter 2 where the people are probably just completely energized and ready to go take everything that God has promised them. Joshua has riled them up. The spies have got them ready to go. They are probably ready for battle. And and now we get into chapter 3 when they come to the actual Jordan River. So the main key word of chapter 3 and 4, the key word throughout the entire two chapters, is this key word called crossover. That's the theme of chapters 3 and 4, crossover. We see it right off the bat where God comes to Joshua and he says, I'm going to take you here and you're going to cross over and you're going to take the land. And then there's, he, he uses the same word in telling them you're going to cross, uh, there's going to be a crossing. He just kind of keeps using this word about crossing this barrier that's going to take them into the promise. This word that is being used is basically just simply meaning to go from one place where you are and entering into the place where God wants you. It's simply that, crossing over, going from point A to point B, the place where I'm at to the place where I want to be. And in this case, I'm taking you from wilderness to promise. I'm taking you from wandering to the promised land. Here's the thing. Whether you realize it or not, every day of your life, God is asking you. He's desiring for you. He wants for you to be crossing over in your own life. God desperately, every single day of your life, wants to take you from where you're at today, and he wants to encourage you to cross over into a new level of relationship with him. Notice what scripture says. This is what Paul tells us. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see that God's desire for you as a Christian is for you to be transformed into Jesus' image on a regular basis, daily basis, into ever-increasing glory? Some translations say from glory to glory. God wants you to go further and deeper with him into new levels of glory. I mean, do you hear that? Do you see what scripture is saying? Ever increasing glory. Christian, this morning, and this is for believers, hear me on this. God desperately wants to lead you into new territories in your relationship with him. He wants to lead you into new revelations of himself. He wants to lead you into new blessings from him. He wants to lead you into a new level of fellowship that you have never had with him before. God is desperately wanting you to live a life where you are crossing over into ever-increasing glory. The question that I have, though, is that, would that be how many of us define our Christianity? Like, if we looked back on the last month, six months, one year, would we be able to say, yes, that is the experience that I'm having with Jesus, that he is taking me, and I am following him into crossing over into ever-increasing levels of glory. I mean, if I, when, I, when I get really honest with myself, I can say, Lord, that's not necessarily what I'm experiencing from you. 
That, that, that isn't may, maybe necessarily how I would define my relationship with you. Oh, yes, I, I'm learning new things. And yeah, you're, 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 you're giving me new opportunities. Or, or maybe the, the, each day there's, there's something new that you show me. But Lord, man, when I hear Paul, listen to I mean, Paul, with unveiled faces. Those that have experienced the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I mean, do you hear the passion and the excitement that Paul is talking about here on what we're called to as believers in Jesus Christ? This is the promise that he offers to us is that we can go further and deeper than we ever have before. But here's the thing, and this is where it gets difficult for me at times. I accept it, I understand it, but it can still get difficult because here's the thing. To cross over into the deeper levels of glory that God has for me, right? I I know exactly what gets in the way of that happening. This is the number, this is it. This is what gets in the way of that happening. To cross over requires that I be consecrated to God. Joshua went to the people in chapter 3. And as they're getting ready to cross over, and we're going to go back, but I want you to see this. One of the things Joshua says to them right off the bat, he says, listen, he told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. And here's the thing. When I hear that, it gets me excited because, like, I want to see God do amazing things in my life. I want to see God do amazing things in my family. I want to see God do amazing things through my children. I want to see God do amazing things through his church. I want to see God do amazing things in his community. I want to see God do amazing things. This word amazing things, what he's saying here is this is, like, I want to do wonders in your midst. Like, this is not just I'm going to do something where you're going to go, well, that was cool. Like, this is God saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to show up, is what God's saying. Like, I'm going to show up. And and you're just going to be able to sit there and be in awe and amazed because I showed up. That's what God's saying here. I'm going to do amazing things. I'm going to do supernatural things. That's what God's saying. And unfortunately, I think many times as Christians, and I I know I have to wrestle with this because I feel like I, I don't think I've been taught this directly, but I think it's been in like conversation and in the church like my entire life, right? We we have limited in our minds and in our hearts what we think God wants to do in our midst. Right? We've kind of lessened what we think God wants to do. I'm here to tell you, I believe wholeheartedly that God still wants to show up. And he wants people to look at it and go, wow. Like, he wants people in the church to just sit there and say, wow. That only happened because God showed up. 
And that's what God is saying here. But notice again, God says, I want to show up. I want to do wonders in your midst. I want to do supernatural things in your midst. I'm going to do that. But first, consecrate yourself. So this is the part that we have to wrestle with. When we desperately want to see God doing amazing and powerful things in our lives, when we want to experience the crossing over into ever-increasing glory, if we look at our lives and say, Lord, why does it seem like I'm just running in place? Why does it seem like I'm not getting anywhere? Why does it seem like my Christianity is dry and, and I don't understand it? I want this passion. I want this desire. I want the fullness of what you have. I want to experience all the love that you have for me and the power and the glory. I want to experience that do wonders in my midst. Is it possible that God's looking at us and saying, I want to so bad, but first you've got to consecrate yourself? Because that's what he told the people. First, you have to consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself, consecrate yourself, and God says, I'm going to show up. Now, here's what we find that it's interesting. Let's kind of look at this for a moment. Is this, is this is where, as we think about consecrating and some principles that we see in, the, in this moment in Joshua's experience in the people and what we can learn from it and how we consecrate ourselves or how we experience God showing up in our lives, it, it kind of comes down to this. Oh, before I forgot, uh, to give you a definition, some of you might be like, what's it mean to consecrate yourself? Simple, simple uh, definition of it. To consecrate simply means to separate oneself from anything that would contaminate one's relationship with the perfect God. So if anybody's wrestling, what does it mean to consecrate? That's simply what it means. It means that I'm going to look at my life, and if there's anything that gets in the way between me and God, I'm going to separate myself from it. So that there's no hindrance between God and myself. But this is what I want us to understand, what we see from Joshua here and the people. If you want God to show up in your life, if you want God to do amazing things in your life, here's the first principle I want you to understand. You have to be willing to wait on God and you have to be willing to follow wherever his presence leads you. If you want God to show up and do wonders in your life, if you want to experience in our church, if we want to see God show up and do wonders in our midst, if you want to see him do wonders in your family, if you want to see him do wonders in your personal relationship with him and in the life that you live, you have to be willing to wait on God and you have to be willing to follow him wherever he leads you. The Bible tells us at the beginning of Joshua chapter 3 that the, the people set out and they went and they camped. And this is where God says is, is they went to the Jordan and there they camped before they crossed over. And then it says, after three days, the officers went through the camp. See, when we read scripture, sometimes we can jump over what's being said here. Now, I want you to picture this again. The spies just came back and they said, the land is ours. Joshua was like, God has given us the land. Let's go take it. They pack up everything. They go to the Jordan and, and they're sitting there at the Jordan River. And then God makes them sit there for three days. We're not told anything other than they sat there for three days packed up and ready to go, but they're waiting. But we have to understand what they're waiting in front of. The Bible tells us in same chapter, verse 15, that now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. They're sitting in front of a flood. 
So here the people are setting out the Jordan River, and this wasn't some small little Jordan River. If you were to look up pictures of the Jordan River today, it is not a very big, mighty river like it used to be because it's controlled now. Man has done things to control the water levels and the water flow and all of that. But that wasn't done back then. Back then, this was a raging river that at this moment would have been at flood stage, and there are some that predict that the river potentially was a mile wide. So picture this. Here's a million plus people, plus all of their animals, all of their belongings, everything they have. And they're sitting there at a river that's flooding. They're watching all the debris of flood stage just flowing down this river. And it's a mile wide. And then God just makes them sit there and look at that for three days. For three days, they had to watch the impossible barrier that stood between them and the promise. And it's interesting to ask, like, why would God make them sit there and look at something impossible for three days? My question is, I wonder if how many times maybe we've been in those moments where God has brought you to something in your journey with him. And it seems like it's the impossibility. Like, it's humanly impossible to overcome whatever you have gotten to. That's where God has left them. Setting and looking at something that is humanly impossible. There is no possible way to get a million plus people plus belongings across this river. Could it be that God wants to do things in our lives that are only possible because he's the one that showed up and did it? And he's willing to bring us to moments where we have to face our own inability so that we're ready for him to do that which only he can do. And he asks us to wait. Waiting is not easy. Anybody ever been in those moments where you're asking God for answers and he's not giving answers? And you're, you're sitting there waiting. You desperately want to know what God's doing. And it just feels like everything about it is silent. I got to thinking about this in my own life. And it came down to two things. Whenever I face those moments. Whenever I face the moments of God asking me to wait on him. I have two main responses. And maybe some of you can relate to this. I don't know. But these are my two main responses. My first response, or one of my responses, is simply this. When God brings me to a moment where he asks me to wait and I have to face an impossible situation or something that's beyond my control or something that's beyond what I know what to do, there is the part of me that just wants to say, whatever. Like, I give up. I give up. It was a nice run. Like, God, I appreciate how far you brought me. But this is good enough. I'm frustrated. I don't like this. I'm not happy. I'm just wiping my hands of it. I just, I'm, I'm good. This is far enough. I'm good. Far enough. I don't need to go any farther with you, Lord. Yes, I know there's blessings somewhere on the other side. Yes, I know that, you know, I know all this truth, but I just don't care. I give up. I'm done trying. 
Actually, I can get very uh, uh, frustrated with God. It's interesting. Um, I've had moments even in the last few weeks where I've had conversations with God where I'm, also, I'm, I'm almost accusing him. <laughs> where he brings me to a situation where I don't know what to do or it's impossible to me. And I'm accusing him where I'm almost to the point where I'm like, God, uh, you promised to be good. This doesn't feel good. <laughs> and I don't like it. You know, I wonder how many times we've been there in our own Christian walk where God wants to cross us over and bring us into something new, but the enemy is using it for us to almost want to give up. Some of us might even be there now. We might even be in a situation where we kind of, yeah, I still have faith, but I've just, I'm, I'm checked out. Checked out. I'm cool. This is, I don't need to go any further. This is good enough. The other response that I have, which seems to be better, but it's really not, is when I have these moments where God brings me to an impossible situation that I have no answer for, but in my arrogance and in my pride, I'm sitting there going, I can figure this out. I got this. I know what to do. I'll figure it out. I kind of picture that with the people there. I wonder when the people got to the river, how many of them were looking at the river going, oh, let's just give up. Let's just go back. Like, you had those people, right? Let's just, let's be done. But then you had the arrogant people. Like, they're the ones standing at the river all day long going, I can figure out how to build something to get us over this. I can do this. I got the answer. I'm smart enough to figure this out. I'm wise enough to figure this out. We can build a bridge somehow, right? These are the people that don't depend on anybody, especially God. I can figure this out. I wonder how many times in our Christian walk we have looked at this idea of growing in our faith and we've looked at it like, I can figure this out. I can do this. Can I tell you something right now? There is nothing you and I can do that will ever bring us into ever increasing levels of glory because that only happens when we submit and consecrate ourselves completely to God. See, if you think you can make yourself grow in your faith, you're fooling yourself. Oh, if I just find the right book. Oh, if I just do the right Bible study. Oh, if they would sing this, this, this right song at church, it would make me feel what I need to go closer to Christ. Oh, if, if we just found a pastor that preached this way, if we just did this ministry, if we make the list of all the things that you say, if, we ju- if I just did this, if I just did this, then it's all going to make sense and it's all going to fit and it's all going to work and I'm going to grow in my faith and I'm going to grow in my knowledge. Man, if I was under the teaching of so-and-so, then yes, I would have this. It don't work that way. Because we're, we're trying to sidestep the, the message that God had to Joshua. Joshua, if you want to enter into ever-increasing glory, consecrate yourself. Don't go find the next book that's going to make it all make sense. Don't go find the new YouTube sermon that's just going to make it all click. Submit yourself to me and consecrate yourself. See, here's the thing. When God calls us to wait and he puts us in front of impossible situations and we are tempted to either give up or we're tempted to figure it out for ourselves, what he's doing is he's asking us to consecrate our hearts and rest in him and trust him for what he's about to do. I don't do well with resting. 
when it comes to this stuff. I want God to fix it or I want to figure out how to fix it. I just want it to be done. And God says, stop, wait, and consecrate your heart to me. Make it about me. He goes on and he says, and then giving orders to the people. So they're told to wait and they're sitting there. And then they go through, through after three days and they say, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and, and the priests who are carrying it, you move out from your position and you follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Don't go near it. So not only are they told to wait, then they're told, listen, you don't even move until you see the presence of God move. That's what the ark is. The ark is the, is the presence of God in their midst. This is, this is the representation of the actual presence of Almighty God. And God is telling them, you don't move until I move. And then when you see that I'm moving, you move out. You know, that's one of the hardest things for me when it comes to life. Is waiting to see what God says to do. Because, <laughs> I, again, I can figure this out. I know what to do. Let's just figure this out. A consecrated life. This is what God wants from us. A consecrated life not only waits on him, but a consecrated life also follows him even when it doesn't make sense. Because picture this for a moment. When the ark started to move, think about what the, 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 the ark is walking towards. The presence of God is walking towards a flood. That don't make much sense. Common sense would tell me that's not the direction we need to go. We need to go upstream and maybe find an easier place to cross or whatever. But no, God's presence is walking towards a flood to my brain. That doesn't make sense unless God knows he's going to show up. A consecrated life is one that follows God no matter where he leads, even when it doesn't make sense. And that includes walking towards a flood. When God says to consecrate our lives to him, it doesn't just mean that I forsake the things that get in the way of my relationship with him because some of the things that get in the way of my relationship, just think about this for a moment. My comfort, my preferences, my expectations. This is one of the things I love the most about this, this part of scripture. When the priests are carrying the ark, right, and they're, they're walking towards the flood, the Bible says... The Bible says that, that the waters, like picture this, the waters split apart so that the people can cross through. So not just the Red Sea split for the people. Now God's splitting the Jordan River so they can walk through to the other side. The Bible says that that didn't happen until the priest had their feet touch the water. And then miraculously God split the waters. Let me tell you why it's hard sometimes for me to follow God. Because I will walk in the direction that God wants me to walk, but this is my mentality. <laughs> this would have been me if I would have been one of the priests, honestly. This would have been me. I would have been carrying that ark, and we would have been like 100 yards away. And I'd be like, boys, the water ain't moving. The water ain't moving. Like, I would start slowing down, because like, the water ain't moving, you know. I would start questioning it. Should we keep on walking? Because the water ain't moving. That would have been my mentality, and that's how a lot of us treat God, is we look at God and we say, God, I'm willing to follow you, but you better take care of the obstacle. I'm not walking another step towards it until you take care of the obstacle. 
And God says, I ain't going to take care of the obstacle until you get right up to it. Because then you're going to know that it was me that showed up. See, not only do we need to wait on him, but when we trust when he is moving and we follow him when he moves, we can trust that whatever the obstacle is that gets in our way, he will deal with it. But we have to be willing to follow and trust and step out of our comfort levels. We have to be willing to step out of our preferences. We have to step out of our expectations of what we think God should do, and we just simply trust him because we see that he's moving. Are you needing guidance from God in something in your life? Are you desperately seeking for God to give you answers? Are you longing for God to show me what you want? Are you consecrated to him? That's my question this morning. Are you willing to wait? And then are you ready to move when you see him move? Even if it doesn't make sense. Here's the last thing I want you to see with this. is, is simply this. Consecration also has to come before the blessing. See, because it, it's in verse 5 that we get told that they're supposed to consecrate themselves. They, they get their instructions to wait, and they get their instructions to follow, and then they're told to consecrate themselves, and then God's going to do amazing things, but he says, I'm going to do it tomorrow. You consecrate yourself today, and then I'm going to show up tomorrow. And I want to encourage us with something, a challenge that God has placed on me many, many times, and he's doing it even now. I like to come to God with this. God, how about you give me the blessing, and then I'll do the consecrating. Like, you show up and show me that it's worth me sacrificing and consecrating myself to you, and I'll do it but you show up first. Can I tell you, that's not the way God works. The consecration happens before the blessing. Because remember, the feet didn't, or the water didn't divide until the feet touched it. The trusting God and following him wherever he asks you to go, that has to come first, and then he will show up. I wonder how many of us are waiting for God to show up, but we're not doing the work of consecrating ourselves. Are you waiting? Have you been waiting for God to show up? It's like, God, I, I, I need, I want more. And he's still saying the same thing. Consecrate yourself. Separate yourself from anything that gets in the way. As we end, I want to give you a prayer that God gave to me about two weeks ago. So this is something that's, that it was new that he placed on me that I've been praying on a daily basis. But it's a prayer of consecration that I saw from Scripture. And I'm going to give it to you because I'm going to ask us to think about this as a church. Church, we're seeking God's direction. We're waiting on Him to show us where He wants us to go. we're, We're doing it as a church, but we also are doing it as individuals and as families. If you're wanting God to lead you, are you willing to consecrate yourself? And it's simply this. It's from Ezekiel. This is my prayer. Simply, God, give me an undivided heart. 
This is God's promise, right? I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. This is the prayer that I've been praying for the last two weeks, just simply asking this, God, give me an undivided heart. Church, Christian, this is my question for you this morning. Can you honestly say to yourself right now in your relationship with Christ that you have an undivided heart? Lord, like, it's all yours. It is all yours. That's a simple prayer of consecration. Lord, give me an undivided heart. Like, I want it to be 100% yours. I want to trust you with everything that I have. I want to follow you with everything I have. I want to have this ever-increasing glory as you transform me into the image of Jesus. And I know it starts with an undivided heart. Church, this morning, can you say that you have an undivided heart before God? If not, I'm going to encourage you with the same thing God says to Joshua. Consecrate yourself. Start offering yourself to God and saying, Lord, I can't do it. That's why God says, I will give you an undivided heart. Right now, somebody's saying, well, how do I get an undivided heart? Start asking God for it. That's it. Some, again, I have the same problem. I'm like, okay, God, undivided heart. How do I do that? What do I have to read? What do I have to study? What do I have to do? What's the prayer? And God's simply saying that. That's the point, David. It's not you. I'll give it to you. You start asking for it. You start asking for it, and you wait. You wait. And when I decide the time is right for you to move, I will tell you when to move. Christian, have you ever asked God to give you an undivided heart? And kept asking and waiting until he does it. Man, imagine what would happen if we did. Imagine what barriers God will break, just break them apart in front of you. Imagine how he will cross you over into deeper levels of glory if we simply just consecrate ourselves and say, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. Give me an undivided heart. All I want is an undivided heart. I go back to the song that we sang as, as we end this and just think about, oh, come to the altar, right? The Father's arms are open wide. That whole song, if, if you love that song, I want you to understand that song. The whole point of that song is us singing, oh, come to the altar. <laughs> you are basically singing, I am coming to die as a living sacrifice to God. The Father's arms are open wide as I die to myself and receive the fullness of his life. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Lord, give me an undivided heart, and the only way that's going to happen is if this heart of selfishness dies. That's the prayer, right? That's what it means to consecrate. It's not about me anymore. It's all about you. Church, I am excited to know what God has planned for us. I am excited to know what God has planned for you individually. I'm excited for what he hopefully has planned for me, but I know I'll never experience it until I wait for him to give me that undivided heart so he can cross me over into ever-increasing glory. That's where I'm at in my walk with him. I'm encouraging you to ask where you're at in yours.
consecrate yourself unto me. Father God, as we uh, prepare to leave this place, allow us to go with, with the, Lord, I really hope the encouragement of just the awesome life that you offer to us. That's so far beyond anything this world has to offer. Oh, there's so much that this world tries to flash at us and say, hey, take hold of this. This is what's going to give your life meaning. This is what's going to give it purpose. This is what's going to give you happiness. But all of it's empty compared to you. But I pray this morning that, Holy Spirit, you help each of us know that the most important aspect of life is to submit ourselves to you and allow you to bring us into the fullness of the promise that you give to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, if we have been fooled into chasing after an empty purpose of life, if we have wasted time, may we say today, no more. Lord, I consecrate myself to you. I pray for that undivided heart to you. Lord, I submit everything to you. I come to the altar and die to myself for you because you are worthy. Lord, then let us have the courage to simply wait. To continually ask, Lord, consecrate me. Give me that undivided heart and I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust. And I'm going to follow. And I'm going to wait for you to do amazing things in my life. Lord, give us the courage and the ability to simply wait. Wait to know when you are moving and the ability to follow wherever you lead us. Lord, I pray encouragement and blessing on all of us today. I pray strength of your presence upon every single person here. I pray if anyone doesn't know you, today will be a day that you just speak to their heart and draw them to yourself. Be glorified in your church. Be glorified in every family and household. Be glorified in each individual life. You are amazing and awesome. Oh, what a savior you are. We love you and thank you. Amen.